0: are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Why pray? Uh, to start with a text in Luke 18.1. Luke 18.1, and he spake a parable unto them to this end. That men ought always to pray and not to faint. Will you remember that? And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. People ought to pray all the time, never give up, never be discouraged, never quit. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now, I want you to think for a little bit about why pray. Why pray? First of all, We ought to pray because it is commanded. Here the Lord Jesus plainly said, Men ought always to pray. Somebody said, I think of prayer as a privilege and not a duty. Well, you're wrong. It is true prayer is a privilege, but it is a solemn duty, and one is living in disobedience all the time that you do not pray. We're commanded to pray. Romans 12.12 says the same thing. Romans 12.12 says, that a Christian is to be continuing, instant, in prayer. Colossians 4.2 says the same thing. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Ephesians 6.18 says the same thing. Bear forcibly and beautifully. Praying always. Put on the whole armor of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Will you notice the all's in this? Praying always with all prayer and supplication. Is for watching thereunto with all perseverance and uh, supplication for all the saints. There sure is a lot of all in that. Pray all the time with all prayer, with all perseverance for all the saints. So the Bible says, Again, the scripture gives that command. Notice this is five times uh, says the same thing in slightly different words. In First Thessalonians five seventeen, pray without ceasing. So people are commanded to pray. Anybody who doesn't pray is living in sin. We are commanded to pray. It is a duty to pray. But wait a minute. This the scriptures cover far more ground than I have covered. The scriptures not only command the Christian to pray, Jesus is not comparable to men that ought to pray, but He said that men ought always to pray. Every one of the five scriptures I read you say that a Christian is to pray all the time. Now, uh, a, a man's not commanded to preach all the time. I think some preachers don't preach enough to keep in practice. I think that's the reason some of you sit in, uh, in the pulpit. I remember I preached in Philadelphia some years ago. And um, we had a blessed, blessed time, and a great crowd of preachers present, and I remember a Dr. Baker, after this service, talked to me, and was all he said, how can a man feel as free as that in the pulpit? He said, I wish I could, but he said, if I did, he said, somebody shoot me. And then, as an afterthought, he said, and I guess they ought. Uh, I think most people don't preach enough to keep in practice if you preach. I think we ought to do a great deal of preaching. But uh, the Bible doesn't command people to preach all the time. We're not commanded to read the Bible all the time. Aside from things involved in prayer, like abiding in Christ, I do not know anything else that you're commanded to do all the time. Well, we're commanded to pray all the time. That means then that for a preacher, prayer is more important than preaching. That means for a Sunday school teacher, prayer is more important than the actual teaching. That means for a soul-winner, that for the soul-winning itself, prayer is more important than the actual working at soul-winning. Prayer is the most all-inclusive requirement God has for a Christian. You're required to pray all the time. Oh, well, somebody says, I don't believe it means that. All right, for the moment, suppose we, we say, maybe it doesn't mean that, but it sure said that, didn't it? Yeah, maybe Jesus didn't mean men ought always to pray, but that's what he said, isn't it? He said men ought always to pray and not to faint. Well, you yes, say, I don't believe you can. Okay, maybe I can't, but I ought to. <laughs> that's what the Bible says. Men ought always to pray. Continuing instant in prayer. Always on the alert in prayer. You say, I don't think you can be. Yeah, you say you've got to sleep some, you've got to play some, you've got to eat some. You, you can't pray all the time. You think I can't, but the Bible says I must, if I obey God. Men ought always to pray. Colossians 4, 2, continue in prayer and watch in the same. Mind your minutes. And the continuum in prayer and watch, watch is used for staying awake at night. Your fasting means doing without food. Watching means going without sleep in the Bible. People ought to pray all the time. That's what the Bible says. Again, the Bible says, pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. Don't ever quit praying. Don't go quit praying when you go to sleep. Don't quit praying when you eat your meals. Don't quit praying when you go to your work. Don't ever stop praying. Pray without ceasing. That's what the Bible says. Now, don't water that down. And don't explain that away. That's in the Bible. Off repeated. Be for to pray all the time. And somebody said, I don't think you can pray all the time. Somebody says, you've got to stop and eat sometimes. Well, maybe you have to stop and eat sometimes. I look around here and I see a few people stop sometimes and they didn't have to to eat. And they stayed at it longer maybe than they ought. Uh, but um, uh, you say you have to stop and eat sometimes. But let me tell you something. Brother, would you mind if I if I go back into your past? You know everybody's got a past, haven't they? And don't look so sad about it because it's well come out. Everybody's got a past. Would you mind if I dig back into your past and find some of your faults and tell the people about it here tonight? Let me see, what did your mother call you, what... Yeah. Owen. Oh, all right. Do you mind if I tell him some things your mother had to get after you about? I know something, but I'm, I'm not making it up. Now, you listen. This boy back yonder, when there was a the boy at the table, his mother used to say to him, Owen, oh, don't talk with your mouthful, didn't you? Yeah, I don't say that. All right. Now, then, the truth of the matter is you can talk when you eat, can't you? <laughs> And, Brother Crow, if you was as much concerned about talking to God as you are about the yakking with everybody else, you could pray when you eat, couldn't you? You could pray. People can pray all the time. Men always pray. You say, well, a man's got to work sometimes. Yes, you have to work sometimes, but when a man works, he can still love his wife and baby, Katie. When a man works, he can still be happy and sing, Katie. When a man works, he's not dead. He's still somebody there. All right. When a man works, he can too, and ought to pray all the time. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. The truth of the matter is, the Bible here teaches that prayer ought to run so deep that it gets into the substrata uh, of your mind. It ought to get into the subconscious mind where you're crying to God. And you can do that when you work or do anything else. The praying goes on to God all the time. People ought to pray all the time. Did you know when you go to sleep, someone said, i got to sleep, haven't I? Sometimes can't pray when I'm sleeping. You can't. You do other things when you sleep. I wonder how many people here ever was the time that you needed to wake up in the morning and you didn't have an alarm clock and you didn't want to miss the breakfast or the prayer meeting or a job or the bus or, or the plane. And so you set your own internal alarm clock. and to get up earlier than you usually wake up, you ordinarily wouldn't wake up that early, but you and you didn't have an alarm clock, but you decided to wake up, and you did. You set your own inside alarm clock, and you woke up ahead of time, have plenty of time. How many have done that? Let's see your hand. Okay. Well, now, if you can watch the time while you're asleep, why couldn't you pray while you're asleep? If the same part of you got that much burdened about it, and it got that deep into your system, why couldn't you pray when you're asleep? Let me hear another thing. How many mothers here? Oh, how many mothers? Please hold your hand, all the mothers. Just the mo- women. No men now, please. Just, all right, the mothers listen. Thank you. And ask your question, mothers. How many of you, can a mother, can a mother listen for the baby while she's asleep? If so, hold your hand. Can a mother? Yes. Yes. A mother can listen for the baby while she's asleep. Isn't that strange? No, bless God. You know, it's a wonderful thing what God does when he makes a mother. God can take some little flipper to gibbet, uh, some little high-heeled uh, flapper that doesn't think about anything in the world but having dates and a big time and flounced dresses and her, and her hair waved and, uh, and all that kind of fiction, and then God makes a mother out of a woman and something's changed. And now then there's something that makes it so in the middle of the night there's just a little bit of a whimper or a rustle of the blanket and mother's awake and looking after the baby. God puts something in there that's watching while she sleeps. And so uh, she wakes up and she turns on the light. And so she's uh, uh, getting the baby's bottle or changing the baby's clothes. And, and uh, Dad says, What's the matter? What is it? And Mother said, It's the baby. And Dad says, I didn't hear anything. And if she's wise, she says, That wasn't your job. I was listening for it. You know, uh, one can listen for the baby while you sleep. One can wake yourself up at a needed time while you're asleep. There are a lot of things you can do when you're asleep. I remember when I was a boy, and I had arithmetic problems or geometry problems, and I'd work and work and work around the dining room table in a farmhouse or ranch house in West Texas, and after a while they'd say, children, time to go to bed. They so had to go to bed and I hadn't finished arithmetic, couldn't get a problem, and I stewed on that and I went to bed. And Brother Crow, the next morning I'd wake up and I have it. I know just how to do it. Something happened while I sleep. How many have had such an experience? Yeah, yeah. All right, now listen. That part of it that goes on living and working and scheming and planning and listening for the baby and waking you up on time and working a problem you didn't get settled, that part ought to be praying. If your praying gets that deep, you can pray all the time. You See that? If you ever get down to where you have such a burden to see somebody saved and such a burden for revival and such a burden for the power of God, that your heart just cries and pleads with God all the time. That will go on when you sleep and go on when you eat. And otherwise, uh, you a Christian ought to pray all the time, all the time. Sometimes, not often, not as often as it ought to have been, but sometimes I wake in the night praying, woke myself up praying, and I had such a burden I had to go alone to an attic or a, a cellar or the bathroom and somewhere alone with God, pray the thing out. But a Christian ought to pray all the time. Well, you say, I don't believe in that. I know, but that's what the Bible commands anyhow. Well, you say, I don't think you can. Oh, but that's what you got to do anyway if you obey the Lord. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Pray without ceasing. Praying always, with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance, for all the saints. That's what the Bible says, people ought to pray all the time. In West Texas, I remember one time I rode my sorrel cow pony, uh, old Dick, I rode him hard. My father and I attended uh, to uh, moving of a great a herd of horses from one pastor to another and cut out certain mares and colts and took them back and so on. And finally, his dad took one group and took them on home, and I took another group to a big, big pasture over yonder. And when I'd gotten done, I suppose I had ridden about 12 hours that day, and I was desperately tired. And my cow pony was so tired, I'd kick him along, but he was lazy and worn out and tired. But when I headed toward home, finally, the work's done, and I've got now several miles to ride home. My horse then, he just uh, got to thinking about oats and he fox trotted right down the road and his ears just working like that, and you didn't need to kick him or anything, here he's going home. Now, the Barrex pasture, uh, right next to our ranch, the Barrex pasture was ten miles across before you even came to a fence. I remember, and so it wasn't much of that country, so that night as I rode down a road over the prairie, I sat upright in my saddle. The saddle leather creaking and the horse box trotting down the road and his ears just working like that as he, as he went on toward home thinking about oats and so on. And I sat, uh, upright and held the reins and held my body balanced and went sound asleep. Riding as is as natural with me as it was then. I'd ridden a horse since I was nearly a baby. I was as natural as walking, almost as natural as breathing. And I sat there sound asleep, every muscle working and rode the horse. Now go try that with a car, car doesn't have as much sense as a horse does. And um, we came to a big gate, and uh, the horse stopped, and when, I, of course I woke up, I woke up. And so opened the gate on the horseback of course, and rode through, and closed the gate on the horseback of course. You know, a cowboy wouldn't want to demean himself for getting off of a horse to do a thing like that. They say that's one reason that so many cowpunchers have to drink canned milk in the coffee. It's so hard to milk a cow on horseback. back. But um, I rode through and um, closed the gate and rode on down the road and went fast asleep again, balanced on the horse, every muscle working, holding the rein until the horse stopped with well, its head over the corral gate. Now, what I'm saying is that Things that you get down deep until they become instinctive and subconscious and natural and your life's blood and your breath and your heart and your love and your life itself. You can do all the time. You can do without thinking. A man ought to pray. A woman ought to pray all the time. Listen, that means that according to Bible then, praying is a big fundamental of the Christian life. I mean, first, the things that ought to occupy and color your whole mind and control you all the time. Now, you ought to read the Bible a lot. You ought to meditate in it day and night. But you can't read the Bible all the time because you got your eyes closed sometimes, or you're working looking at something else sometimes. But one can pray all the time. Well, you say, I can't pray and do other things. Then you're not enough concerned about praying. If you get concerned enough about it, you can pray. Yes, sir. And pray while you do other things. Men ought to pray all the time. So the Bible says. I say, first of all, people ought to pray all the time because we're commanded to pray all the time. Now, second, why pray? People ought to pray. We ought to pray all the time. We ought to pray because that's God's appointed way for a Christian to have things. In James 4.2, the Scripture says that ye have not because ye ask not. The Scripture says here that ye fight in war you lust and have not and desire to have and cannot obtain, yet ye have not because ye ask not. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet ye have not because you ask not. Now we ought to pray because that's the way to have things. The way to have things is to ask God. That's simple. I wish you'd believe it. We ought to ask God. You ought to ask God when you need wisdom. You ought to ask God when you need power. You ought to ask God when you have daily bread. Well, I wish I had time for a series of messages on prayer. I hope you'll get my book back there on prayer, asking and receiving. May I ask you now, how many here have it or have read it? Let's see your hand. Many of you have. If anybody doesn't have it, I hope you'll get it. 165,000 copies have been published, making it one of America's bestsellers. It is in fact the world's bestseller on prayer. It's in the Sears Rubber catalog. Did you know that? It's sold in some principal department stores. And I wish you'd read it. Forgive me for saying the word, except I'm so anxious for you to get more than I can give you in one message. But listen, I'm just saying to you that a Christian is supposed to have things by going to ask God day by day. You have not because you asked him. Why pray? You know, God has lots of things He'd like to give you but you don't ask for them. God has many things he'd like to give you, but you don't ask for them. God can't do it to his glory unless you pay attention, unless you have a heart for it, unless you want them enough to ask and give him the credit for it, So you don't have because you don't ask. There are people who are sick who could be well if they prayed. I do not think it's always God's will to heal the sick. I'm sure it's not. I think sometimes God wants a saint to go to heaven, don't you? I think sometimes God wants you to lie flat on your back till you learn some sick, don't you? I think sometimes God wants people to see that a Christian can suffer and still be a happy Christian. God let Job suffer to prove the glory of God, and uh, it is not always God's will to heal the sick. Uh, Paul wrote and said, uh, "I have trophy must have left a certain place sick, and so on. And he said, Timothy, I'll take a little wine, that word there is for grape juice, I think, The word wine in the Bible may mean new wine, simple grape juice, or may mean after it's fermented. He said, take a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine orphan infirmities. So Timothy wasn't healed. It's not always God's will to heal the sick, but I'll have to say this. It usually is God's will, and I can prove that. Would you like me to prove it's it's usually God's will to heal the sick? Would you? All right, I can prove that very easily. How many here ever got sick? And then got well. Let's see your hand. You were sick and you got well. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Good minute. Now, how many here were sick and you died? Let's see your hand. Huh? Well, then it is usually God's will for sick people to get well. Is that right? Is that right or not? Huh? In your case, it was, wasn't it? Alright. Now, listen. There are people who are sick that could be well if they prayed. You have not because you asked not. Listen, there are people here who could have jobs if they ask for them. I mean persistently, believingly, insistently, if they ask God. There are people here who could have money to send the children to college, but they don't ask and insist upon it and get it. Oh, how blessed it is. This poor man cried. I wish I had time to tell you. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all of his troubles. I wish I could tell you how I got the first thousand dollars I ever got for the Lord's work. I wish I could tell you wonderful, wonderful answers to prayer, detailed, meticulous, that could not be accidental. The reason God wants you to pray is because he wants to give you, and so you have not because you ask not. One big reason to pray is that a wonderful God is able to give more and wants to give more, but you don't let him, you don't ask him, you don't receive. What shall I render to the Lord for all his blessings? I'll take the cup of salvation and ask him for some more. I'll take it and ask him more. It is said that years ago in the lumber camp on the, in the northwest on the mountainside, it said that there was a Japanese cook, a Chinese cook perhaps it was, and the Chinese cook, after the tin plates and seal knives and fork were washed after the noon meal, it said that while the others were out in the logging camp cutting the big timbers and hauling and so on. Then he decided to take a walk on the mountainside in the snow. And so he walked along, and he heard a funny noise behind him, and he turned, and there was a great grizzly bear sniffing at his tracks in the snow. And the Chinaman said, Huh? You like in my tracks? I'm making you some more, he said. And so he made some more tracks right away. And uh, uh, did you know what God wants you to do? He wants you to say, "I like what God did for me." I'm going to ask Him for some more. Yes, sir. We ought to say, "Well, God answered my prayer." That encourages me to pray again. Amen. What shall I render to the Lord for all He's done for me? I'll take what He gives me and ask Him for some more. I'll take. <laughs> the way uh, we should pray because it's God's cure for worry. Did you know worry is a sin? Did you know that worry is a sin? And uh, so the way to cure a worry is to pray. As a scripture that says that, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be careful for nothing. Be careful for what? Not anything in the world. Be careful for nothing. In the Revised Standard Version, American Standard Version, not the RSV, in the American Standard Version, the scripture says, be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious, don't be worried, don't be distraught about anything. A Christian ought not to be anxious, a Christian ought not to worry. Worry is a sin fretting, stewing, worrying is a wicked sin. It's a sin of unbelief. It is, uh, violates a plain command. Well, you say, how am I going to get over it? You're going to learn to take things to God in prayer. Be anxious for nothing. Uh, John Wesley said, I would no more fret than to curse or swear. I would no more fret than to curse or swear. You know, the 37th Psalm said, Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Fret not. He said, but trust, wait upon the Lord. You know, a Christian ought not to fret, and yet some of you do. I know some of you are Christians. You're like a good woman I knew, noble, good Methodist woman. She was a shouting Methodist, too. And I mean, she loved the Lord, and she prayed and read her Bible, and was sincere, too. And yet, one day there was a thunderstorm, and I was astonished to see this woman, a good Christian woman, praying woman, a singing woman, church-going woman, I saw this woman lie on the bed and pull a feather mattress up over her head and cry and pray and tremble and holler and cry for mercy until the storm was over. And I thought, good night. What good is it to be a Christian? You're scared to death when it comes to a little rainstorm and a little thunder. And I was only a boy, nine years old then. A Christian ought not to be worried and fretted. Yes, some of you are good Christians, some of you mothers. You've got a boy in the service, but just let a Western Union boy uh, ride up to your house and come on the porch with a yellow envelope in his hand and ring the doorbell. You say, Oh, I just know something's happened to my boy. Or in the middle of the night, the telephone rings, and you go to the telephone, and, uh, and the operator said This is long distance, and your heart stops a beat, and you say, Oh, I wonder what's happened to mother. Just something's wrong at home. They wouldn't be calling this time of night, and you're scared to death. That's a poor way for a Christian. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. It isn't right for a Christian to fret and stew and be fretted. Let's have a little confession meeting. I wonder how many say, I want to confess to God, I have often unrest and worry. And what will happen in the future? Oh, I don't know how things turn out. I wonder how many are guilty of fret and worry and therefore of sin in this matter. Come on, confess it honestly. Let your hands. That's a sin, isn't it? That's a sin. Will you ask God to help you cure it? All right. If you mean business, here's the way to cure it. Be anxious for nothing but in everything but prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. How is it you don't worry about anything? By praying about everything and staying there until you can thank God and go in peace. Take everything to God in prayer. When you come to think of it, this is a wonderful thought that you can ask God for anything you want. That's what the Bible says. Pray and be careful of nothing but in everything. Pray about everything. You don't have to worry, but you've got to learn to take everything to God in prayer and have peace about it if you cure this sinful habit of worry. Pray about everything. You say, Do other scriptures say that you ought to pray for anything you want? Yes, I'm glad you asked me, because they do say that. In John 15:7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, anything you want, and it shall be done unto you. Mark eleven twenty four. Jesus answered and said unto them, um, uh, What things soever ye desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. What things soever you desire when you pray. John, Psalm 37, 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Here, the Bible plainly says you're to ask for anything you want. Now, when I was a boy in West Texas, I thought it'd be all right to pray for pinto beans and salt bacon and uh, a buttermilk and turnip greens. Those were necessities. But I thought it would be wrong to pray for strawberry shortcake or pineapple upside-down cake. I thought that was a luxury. But I found that God makes the luxuries as well as the staples and that God once made them for his children, and a Christian has the right to ask for what he wants. Of course, you understand, a Christian ought always to have this thought, Father, if I'm wanting wrong, I want you to fix it. But I, every Christian ought to have such a free course. He'd come to God and said, I'm going to tell you just what I want, my Father. I, one time, I sat on my steps, back steps, at Wheaton, and the uh, young people were having a croquet game in the backyard, And a great many of my family and workers and others were in the backyard. And Dr. J.C. McCauley, pastor at that time, the Wheaton Bible Church, came to see me and asked me if I'd conduct a revival services in the Wheaton Bible Church. And while we was sat on the septum, talked about it, Joy was three years old. And she, out in the backyard, she picked up a little piece of cardboard. Oh, it was a little bit of a thing. A little bit of a cardboard, not as big as that envelope, but it was a little catawampus. And uh, so on. And she she brought that to me, three years old. And she held it like that. She wanted it cut off of the end of square. I was sitting on the steps, twiddling, talking with Pastor McCauley about a revival. And my wife would not have had it. And she toddled off, uh, three years old, to her business. And I turned to Pastor McCauley and I said, If I happen to want anything from God, and if He's having a council with all the archangel about making a new world, I said, I don't care if I want to. I'm going to walk right in and say, Father, will you cut this off for me? And he's going to do it. (laughs) Listen to me. Listen to me. Now, let me tell you right now. God wants his children to ask him for what they want. Uh, Somebody said, well, now here, suppose you might want something that isn't right. Well, Brother Crow, now, I don't see how you'd be so much better off. Here's something that you and I want, and you're afraid it isn't right, and so um, you say, I'm going to go and ask God about it. And you say, well, I'm not going to ask God for it might be wrong. I'm going to scheme around behind God's back and try to get it by hook or crook without praying. Now, I don't see, but what would be better just go honestly to God and say, Lord, this is what I want. And if it's all right, let me have it, Lord. And if I'm wanting wrong, you fix my water. But I'm not going to have any secrets between me and God. I remember a good day. One of the best things ever happened to me, praise God. I came one day to a conclusion. I don't know why I'd never seen it before, but I came one day to a conclusion there'll be no secrets between me and God. I said, Lord, it used to be I thought of his living in the guest room, you're a guest in the visitor, and you've got the embroidered towels, and you've got the fine linen and so and so. But I said, Lord, that's not the way it's gonna be from now on. You come on back in the kitchen and if the garbage is pails dirty, well you say so if you don't like it. And if they have some dirty dishes in the sink and you want them cleaned up, you say so, you live here. And I said in the back bedroom, if the dirty clothes on the floor, or if somebody picked up a corner of the rug and brushed the dirt under there, that's a quicker way in it, ladies, than getting it out. Well I said, You don't like it, you say so, but you live here. And I promise God there are not going to be any areas of my life that I don't put under God's supervision. I'm going to tell him every heart's desire. If I found myself just dying for a drink of whiskey, I'd go talk to God about it. I'd tell God, Lord, this is wrong, I guess, so help me get out of it. But I have no secrets between me and God. I'm going to tell God everything. Ask God for everything. Ask God what you want. That's what the Bible teaches. And then take everything to God in prayer. And thanks be to God, you can get to where there's no more fret and you no more worry. I've got a heavenly Father. He looks after me all the time. Will you allow a personal uh, uh, illustration of this? Some years ago, I was out in Des Moines, Iowa, in the First Brethren Church in a big revival campaign. We had a blessed time. And a good, a noble doctor, a good physician, had been very widely used in St. Louis and that area and widely known. And he had a good clinic. He was a blood specialist. And this doctor is a good Christian. He loved my ministry and he came regularly. And one night he said, He said, Dr. Rice, you work hard. He said, Wouldn't you like to come down to my office and let us give you a good thorough checkup? He said, How long have you been since you had a good checkup? And I said, Oh, good while. My wife said, Honey, you ought to go. You haven't had a doctor look you over in five years. Well, I said, Okay, I'll go. I went a little reluctantly because I was a little thick here in the middle, and I thought he was going to tell me why I cut down a little on what to eat or so on. Otherwise, I had no fear. But I went down there, and he checked me over. He took my blood pressure and his eyebrows raised, and he said, well, right on the nose, he said. And he took that um, uh, that reflector with a light in it and looked back in my dilated my eyes and looked back in there to see if there was a little tiny broken capillary in the back of the eyes that would indicate stresses and strains and, and so on. Well, he said, nothing wrong here. And he checked the um, heartbeat, you know, very carefully, and um, he counted the pulse, and, and he checked the heartbeat. And boy, there wasn't a bit of carbon knock. It was hitting on eight cylinders, just tuned right up, you know, to toe. He went over me from top to bottom. He, they took blood out of my ear and uh, counted um, the, uh, uh, how the the red blood cells and such matters. And when he got through, he was a very much chastened doctor. And he didn't say, well, I don't know anything I can tell you to do, he said. He said, I believe we wouldn't get any heavier, he said, very modestly. He said to me, um, uh, When did uh, do you have a vacation? Oh, I said, I enjoy my preaching so much. I'm I to vacation so many days, but I said, I, I just uh, haven't had time now for it. And so on. He said, How do you sleep? I said, I sleep fine. I said, Day or night, I work awful hard, but in any day or night, if I'm, I need rest, I can lie down, and from one to two minutes, I'll be fast asleep, either day or night, wherever I am. And he looked at me and said, Brother Rice, he said, You must not have any worries. And I said, Thanks be to God, I don't. I, I may have exaggerated that some. I'm so human and frail. But I tell you, I have learned to rest in the Lord and have peace. And a Christian can have peace all the time. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, in everything, but prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Will you sing with me one verse of What a Friend We Have in Jesus? It is written about this verse. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What. Prayer. People ought to pray because it can cure worry. You can cure your worries. Blessed be God and live content all the time. But there's another scripture. A man ought to pray. A Christian ought to pray because that's the way to have fullness of joy. In John 16 24, Jesus said, Hitherto you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. Now the scripture says you can be full of joy. How? With answered prayer. Answered prayer. Full of joy all the time. You know, I I thank God. He's made me happy. But um, my happiness is principally like David said. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and delivered him from all his fears. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. If you learn to have your prayers answered, you can learn to be wondrously happy, full of joy. Let me illustrate it. Let's see, where are those two girls from Bridgeport, West Virginia? Well, let's see. Here they're right down here. And one of these girls was converted in a revival campaign in the city auditorium at Clarksburg, West Virginia. Now, there were a bunch of little churches wanted me to come for a United Revival campaign in Clarksville. I uh, Clarksburg I promised to come. I sent Dr. Scotchie call down there to do to um, uh, get the men together, have luncheon with them, and plan the advertising and organization and so on. But the churches were very small. One church had 17 members. Another had 25 members. And they were all pretty poor. And finally they wrote me and said, Brother Rice, we can get the city auditorium at certain times. It'll cost us $500 a week. But they said, none of us have got $500. What'll we do? Well, I just had a good revival campaign, and it happened. They're fortunately unusual. I had $500. So I sent $500 and paid for the rent on the city auditorium. Then I got um, a good man, a musician, to come from New Brunswick, Brother Albert Lane, the great pianist. And then I got Mr. and Mrs. um, uh, Stewart to come from Los Angeles, and we went to the hotel, later got a, a house, we had big advertisements in the paper. Oh, we had lots of expense, three musicians, city auditorium cost $500 a week, advertising was in the newspapers, and the hotel bills, and we had a struggle. I don't know whether do you remember how we had such a pull to get a crowd at first. And it had that healing campaign and lots of tomfoolery before, and there's a good deal of opprobrium on the auditorium. Well, finally we got crowds, they began to come. And I just cried to God and prayed to God day and night, and God began to pull things through. And uh, some people were saved, and we began to have some really old tough sinners. I wonder, do you remember that old gray-headed drunkard that I saved, and came down the aisle and hugged my neck, and nearly broke my neck here, and then we began to have so many, some really old tough sinners saved? And we had a wonderful time. And finally, a good many help. And I remember this, dear girl. I remember what you gave help on the expense of that meeting to pull the things out. And so we paid up my workers and paid the hotel bills and paid the newspaper advertising and paid the auditorium rental. I never did get back the $500 I put into it, but I got everybody paid up. I never left a revival campaign owing any money. And I tell you, I sure did cry to God good. So that wouldn't be an exception. And the thing began to break, and we had so many people saved, and a wonderful time. The last night came, and we had the invitation, and we, and we finally said goodbye. We sang, God be with you till we meet again, and we waved our handkerchiefs goodbye. And the people all left, we had such a handshaking time, and packed up what books were left. And I told Mrs. Rice and the secretary, you stay here now. I'll go down and get my car. I couldn't park within blocks of this place tonight. I went way down across the viaduct to get my car. Ms. Rice and my secretary waited there. I walked down across the viaduct, and the moon was shining bright. And I thought, blessed be God, I paid up all my workers, paid up all the advertisements. That old drunkard got saved. These two nurses from the hospital, oh, and a big bunch of other people got saved. And I said, praise the Lord. I walked on a little further, and I said a little louder, Praise the Lord! And I walked on a little further, and I said, Praise the Lord! And the next time, it was just about as loud as I could say it. And Elmer, I got myself, I was just going to heaven, I grabbed myself by the heels, and caught myself just before I went off and left this world. And I said to myself, Take it easy, you'll get arrested. <laughs> and I went on down there and got my car, came back and got my wife and the secretary and loaded things in the car and went on my way. But my heart just saying, listen, if you get your prayers answered regularly, you'll stay full of joy. This down-in-the-mouth kind of Christianity because you're just not getting results in your prayer life. You get your prayer life uh, settled. And these things he said, here before you've asked nothing in my name, ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full, that your joy may be full. Well, it's just a moment more. Why pray? Well, pray, there's so many things about it but prayer is a way to power. If ye, being evil, know how to give good things to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him, and ask him. And it's in the present tense, which means ask, and ask, and ask, and ask. If you keep on asking, you can have power. It's the way to revival. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, that's getting on praying ground, and pray, that's definite asking, and seek my face, that's keeping on begging. And turn from your wicked ways. That's taking the chunks out from under the gospel wheels. And so on. Then he said in prayer. Then he'll, I'll hear from heaven. We'll forgive your sins and heal your land. People ought to pray all the time. Will you set out to pray all the time? And try to cultivate an attitude of mind to remember and call on God. And pray everywhere you are all the time. And keep on praying. And pray about everything. And have peace. And no prayer? And don't worry, but live in fullness of joy and have what God has for you to have. Will you set out to pray all the time? I hope you will. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org.